Our text this morning is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 down through 31. Follow along in your Bibles. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'll admit I've been fairly nervous all morning, but a lot of that went away when I heard that the trailers weren't going to be here. And I'm really sorry that they're not going to be here, but I've taught Kai and Judah up in the kids' Sunday school, or the kids' kidlands for several times. And uh, I've never met children who can throw curveballs. Kai throws you curveballs with his questions, and Judah throws you curveballs with his answers. So I feel like I can, I feel okay now. Um, But uh, thank you all for being here. And uh, I hope I can preach the word to you. I'd like to start by uh, telling you about one of my favorite movies. And um, I think objectively, one of the best movies of the last 20 or 30 years, because I've got really good taste in movies. It's Apollo 13. Um, I grew up with my dad who loved the space race in the 60s, and he lived through it, and would always tell you about watching it. And in the movie, the Apollo 13 movie. It's got Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon. It's directed by Ron Howard. The first third of the movie is a steady anticipation of a moment. And it'll flash on the screen every few scenes. 60 days until liftoff. 30 days until liftoff. One week until liftoff. And then comes the launch scene. And all of that anticipation that's been building, it comes to a focal point. And you see these men in the launch control center and the, the guy in charge there, I forget what they call him. They call him Flight. He starts off the scene, all these men arranged in rows in front of him. And he says, Flight Control, listen up. Give me a go, no go for launch. And he starts checking off his list. Booster, go. Retro, go. Fido, go. Guidance, go. And he calls out a couple of dozen names and the the camera is moving around that room and is showing these men and you get the picture 
and the impression suddenly, the realization, how hard they've all worked for this moment. We've been, as the, as the viewer, as the audience, we've been kind of building in anticipation as what's gonna happen, but you suddenly realize they've been working on this for this moment, for months, years, calculating and training and building. And you see the, you, then you see the astronauts in the top of this gigantic rocket, and you realize how long they've trained for that moment for their whole lives, pretty much, for their, their whole adult lives, pretty much. And you see their wives and their children and their friends in the stands, and you realize the anticipation that they've been building. And just it's just a, a beautiful piece of, of movie making where the force of that moment, it's not, a, it's not a huge dramatic moment without realizing just everything that came before it. And then everything that's gonna follow afterwards too. That's the moment. It's this moment, the launch of the rocket. After this, the astronauts will be in space and they're going to the moon. But all up until this moment, has been all of these forces coming together. And after this moment, all these forces will converge. And all of that to say, I think Romans 3, 21 through 31 is that kind of a moment in the Bible. Uh, when Justin and the other elders told me what they wanted me to preach on, I thought, oh, good grief, can't there be something a little bit lighter? Because this is, it's, a, it's that moment. It's the launch of the rocket into space. It's, it's huge. And so what I want to do for you today is just, or what I want to try and communicate today is simply that if we understand what happens here, if we understand what salvation our God has wrought for us, that's a profound thing to understand. And it has dramatic consequences, a dramatic impact on the way that we're going to worship him and the way that we're going to trust him with our lives and the way that we're going to treat the people that he's created. And so it's going to, it's hopefully it's not too slow of a burn because I know it's kids Sunday, uh, but hopefully I can, I can lay that out and then explain that logical consequence there. Let me pray first, though, before I jump right into that. God, thank you for your word, uh, and thank you for bringing us all here today. I pray that um, despite anything I say, God, that your word would go out to your people, and that we would leave here, God, closer to you, and more in awe of you, and more, um, and more a picture, God, of who you are and what you've done. May we always reflect that. In your name, amen. So the first thing we've got to start with here, let's look in verse 21. It starts with, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So first we've got to do some back tracking here. It says the righteousness of God apart from the law. That means there must have been some sort of righteousness God within the law or under the law um, that Paul has been discussing up until this point. And if you know Romans, you know that's true. So a few key things to understand in the buildup to three verse, chapter 3, verse 21. Um, a lot of it comes in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, and a little bit in chapter 1, Paul has laid out the effects of the law. I think it's important for us to understand what he means by the law, because a lot of times we default straight to, well, it must be a series of, of commands that the Israelites, the Jews, were supposed to follow. We know that much, and that is true. Um, the law was a set of commands, but it was also a, a way of establishing a culture. The, the law set the Israelites up as a culture, a nation that was to portray God's righteousness and God's glory. 
and it set up a liturgy. It set up a way of worshiping God. Um, And it set up also uh, the role of sacrifices and reconciliation for when they would break his commands, what would happen to bring the fellowship between them and God back together. So it's a a big thing. And for the Jews, the, the Jewish Christians that Paul is writing to, that's the struggle. And we saw that, we've seen that in our study of Ephesians. They're saying, we've grown up with this liturgy and this culture and this process that we use to know God and worship him. And now, now you're saying that doesn't matter anymore. No, we think we should still use this. And we think new Christians who are Gentiles should also use this as the way that we know God. We've been doing this for thousands of years. What's wrong with it now? And so th- that's part of the, the cultural context of what's going on here. But Paul, he, he lays out essentially some of the flaws that this righteousness under the law has had. Uh, and one big one that we'll get to in a second. But if you look in chapter two, if you look in the first couple of paragraphs in chapter two, well, chapter two, verse one, he starts off, he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. And so one of the things that has gone on under the law, and we'll see that we see this in the gospels, is that it had been misused by some people to say, not let me make myself righteous, and even that's got its own problems, but as, as instead a telescope to look at other people and say, well, I, you know, I don't know about me, but at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not so bad. Um, and it's a way of, of neglecting the righteousness of God in favor of looking outward at other people and saying, well, I may not be perfect, but... You know, by comparison, I'm better than a lot of people. And Paul in chapter two says, that's no good. That's not going to justify you. Somebody else's, because the logic doesn't make sense, right? Somebody else's sin does not justify me. But we can easily think that. Or we can easily at least distract ourselves into thinking that's probably the case. You know, I'm better than them, so I'm probably okay. The other way, if you look in chapter two, that the law had sort of been misused is if you skip down uh, to verse 17, not in judgment, but in boasting. He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure of yourself and a guide to the blind, but you still break the law, then it's no good for you. And so people have always been this way, I think. It's not just the Jews under the law in the Old Testament. We always tend to establish our own righteousness by saying, well, I'm not as bad as him. Or we look not at our our actions, but what we know. And that's the boasting here. We say, well, I know the law. I know it's wrong to do this and that. I know how these different commands interact with each other. And I know what's right. And therefore, I'm good. And Paul is sort of demolishing both of those myths. He says, uh, we've been given the law, us Jewish Christians, or not even the Jewish Christians, all the Jews. We've been given the law, but we can't keep it. And no matter how much we can point fingers at other people who don't keep it, and no matter how much we study it and, and become scholars of it, we still don't keep it. And so he reaches this conclusion in verses 19 through 20 of chapter 3, right before our passage. And these are just the essential verses right here. This is the the whole conclusion of the matter. Uh, He says in 19, now we know 
that whatever the law says, it, says to those, it speaks to those who are under the law. And here's the point. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the, through the, law comes the knowledge of sin. So there's the whole, the whole point. Um, there was a righteousness under the law. Through the law, the commands of the law, the practices of the law, God reveals his righteousness. But at the same time that he reveals his righteousness, he reveals it to be unattainable. It's way up here. And we can't get to it. No matter how big of a ladder we bring, we're way down here. And we're not going to make it. No matter how much we point fingers at other people's, no matter how much we boast in what we know, we're not going to make it. And, and that's the brief version of what Paul's been laying out. But it's essential to understand that. But now that starts in verse 21. Because this is what he's pointing to. He says, but now the righteousness of God is revealed, is manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God, that's verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned. He's saying there's no distinction. He's saying there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's a big shift. That's a huge shift. We've got this, especially for the Jewish Christians of that day, right? They, they had this whole system in place and now it's been remade. It's not been broken and thrown off. It's been remade. And it's just worthwhile noting a couple of things, several things that are pointed to in those verses, 22 through 25, 26 there. I think the, the biggest one for us is to understand that God provides the righteousness. When it says the righteousness of God, the picture there is not God giving us a bigger ladder. The picture there is not saying, okay, let me make it so you can get up to my righteousness. The picture there is God coming down and giving us his righteousness. That's what he did in Jesus. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. We become identified with Jesus when we put our faith in him. We become clothed in the righteousness of God. And that's a profoundly different thing. It's not us anymore building our own righteousness up. It's God coming down. It's not a ladder. It's a lightning rod down. It's God coming down and giving us his righteousness. And he gives it to us. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, God gives his righteousness to everyone. He says we all need it. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter if you'd sinned, if you were the guy over there that everybody pointed to and said, well, at least, at least I'm not that bad. At least I'm, you know, over here in the good zone. It didn't matter any of that. All had sinned and all had fallen short of the glory of God. And he gives it to us. He clothes us in his righteousness through our faith in the blood of Jesus. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified by his grace as a gift um, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, put, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's it. He gives us his blood. He says, all you got to do, all you need to do to receive this righteousness of mine is trust me. Just put your faith in me. 
believe that that was me, that was God incarnate who came down to the earth and died and was buried and rose again. So Paul, we don't have time. I mean, we have to read the whole book of Romans, I think, to understand the implications, all of the implications of what happened there and how much, especially Jewish Christian thinking, had to kind of shift to make sense of this new reality. We kind of take it for granted. We've been, I mean, if y'all are like me and you grew up in the church, you've heard this same kind of stuff before. Um, It's been preached over and over. It can't be preached enough. There's nothing wrong with preaching it over and over. But we, uh, we kind of get to, we get to bypass some of the mental gymnastics that the Jewish Christians had to do to understand and make sense of this new thing. And that's what, Jesus, uh, that's what Paul is going to go on to explain throughout the rest of the book of Romans. But I do think there are a couple of things that we should be reminded of here as we understand the revelation, the manifestation here of God's grace. Um, number one, we should understand the purpose of this. And it follows from where I stopped reading. In the end of the second half of verse 25, he says, this was to show God's righteousness. God came down to give us his righteousness, but he also came down to display the glory of his righteousness. He came to make himself apparent as the source, as the supreme authority of all righteousness. He'd already done that in in creating the law and giving the law and revealing the law. Um, But he he adds to it, if that's possible. He reveals it even more. He says, I'm not only going to be just. There's the standard, the law. Absolute justice, absolute righteousness. He says, I'm not only going to be just but I'm going to be the justifier. All those people that I created that I want to be righteous like me who can't make it, I'm going to go down and I'm going to make them righteous. I'm going to do that. Um, and that reveal, that's, that's an amazing thing, I think, to reveal, uh, to understand about God. God demonstrates his righteousness in the law and then even further by saving us from the sin that the law reveals. Uh, <clears throat> later on in chapter, in chapter 7 of Romans, uh, Paul's going to say, this is in verse 12, he says, uh, for sin, excuse me, verse 11, he says, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, through the law, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Uh, but he goes on to say, but I'm flesh, sold under sin. And I can't make it. God saw us in that condition. And God would have still been just to say, well, I've, I've told them what they need to do. I've revealed my righteousness. But God becomes the justifier. He goes beyond mere justice and becomes the one who makes us just. It's an amazing thing. It's a, and it reveals, I think, it reveals so much the error of those two attitudes we were talking about before. When we, because we still tend to do this, right? We can, we can look at the, the Jewish Christians and we can look at the Pharisees in the Bible and we get all, 
we make fun of them. And they, they deserve to be made fun of, right? We think, how silly of the Pharisees to think that their law, like that they could travel further than a certain distance on the Sabbath because, you know, they weren't supposed to go so far from their home. But if they left a shoe along the way, then that still counted as their home. And we laugh at them and say, how silly. But we do the same thing. Like we come up with, for us in America, what it means to be a Christian. And we have our cultural Christianity, it's called. And you know it and you recognize it. I live in the suburbs and I wear plaid shirts and I have three kids and not much debt and I vote Republican and we think all those people, that's Christianity right there, right? And we'll put those labels on us. And we think if I just make people look like me, well then they're a Christian. And that's, that's such a false and dangerous thing. And even more dangerous is the thought that if I see somebody and they look like me, well, they probably already are a Christian. And they don't need to hear the gospel. They've also got three kids and wear flannel shirts and vote Republican. And like, we think, oh, they're probably all right. That's a, that's a dangerous misconception. And, and the Pharisees in the Bible had just taken it that far. Um, and we also, like the Pharisees, I think, uh, and like many people in the Bible, are prone to that same sort of boasting. I know a lot about this. That's probably why God saved me. God came down and he said, man, Tarek's really got a handle on some of this stuff. I could use him in my kingdom. That's what it was, right? No. Um, when God saw us, we were all down there. God's way up here and he's looking down at us. You know, some of us might have been a little bit further up the anthill, but God's still at the top of the mountain. And when Paul says, this is what he's getting at in verse 27, he says, what becomes a boasting that there's nothing we did. There's nothing we did that made God say, I need to save them. It was God deciding, I'm going to demonstrate my righteousness. I'm going to demonstrate my justice. It wasn't God saying, oh, look at them. Now he did that because he loved us. I'm not saying he didn't love us. But it wasn't something we did to deserve. All we have to do is grab hold. All we have to do is trust. So it reveals, I think, to understand this fully, it reveals the foolishness of judging others. We're all in the same boat. It reveals, I think, the danger of judging others, too, to misjudge them. It reveals the foolishness of boasting, that God did all the work here. It was the righteousness of God. It was the propitiation put forth by God. It is faith, our faith, merely in what God has done. We're not doing anything else. It ruins our ability to boast. And I think something that's not mentioned here but follows that it's worth pointing out for us today. When we understand this salvation that God has wrought, it reveals the end of, of boasting, of self-righteousness, of judgment, and it reveals the end of guilt. This, this is not something that's quite so much said in the text, I think, but it's a logical leap. I'm going to go with it. Y'all come with me. The God who could do that, the God who could establish his law, and then the God who could bring people up and make them justified in his eyes. There's nothing we suffer from. There's nothing we feel guilt and shame over that's immune to that. We realize the enormity of what he did, right? There's nothing in my life that I think, oh, I'm so ashamed. Oh, I'm so burdened by the secret sin. 
there's nothing we could say about it. God could never save me from this. God could never overlook this. Maybe that's the language we might use. Um, that's, that's true. God doesn't overlook sin. God obliterates it. God forgives it. And there's not a sin. This is also another like a height of arrogance and boasting to think that you, you and I, we've done sins that God couldn't forgive. We've found one that he'd never seen before. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And so I think to understand the salvation, it reveals that our guilt and our shame are, are minuscule in the power in relation to the power of this God who has wrought this salvation. They're minor. They're inconsequential. Just as our efforts to fulfill the law were inconsequential, our stumblings and our failures that break the law are inconsequential in the face of that power, in the face of that glory, in the face of that righteousness. I think that's what Paul's getting to at the end when he says, do we overthrow the law by this faith? This is verse 31. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we're upholding the law. I think that's what he means by that. He's saying we're establishing, we're maintaining the righteousness of the law. The law has to be kept. And Jesus kept it for us and clothes us in his righteousness. The law has to be kept. It wasn't something God couldn't simply say, oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. God wasn't throwing the law out. He was bringing us up to its level. So, um, sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. That's the end of that sentence. <laughs> so I think, what do we do with this? What do we leave here with? We, we leave here under this strong conviction that just as the Jewish Christians could make some errors and fall under these um, unfair judgments and uh, and unrighteous boasting, uh, that we don't fall into those same traps. That we, as we live under the law of grace, we remember always what we were saved from and we rejoice in the absence of guilt and the absence of shame that our God has wrought. And we remember how we were saved. I don't think we can, I don't think we can preach on that and remember that enough because we're, we're prone to wander as one of my favorite songs says. We're prone, to, we're prone to go off and rest on our laurels, rest on our own righteousness and think that we deserve it and think that other people don't or that other people do based on the wrong things. And the more we get reminded of that, the more we keep that in our head, um, the better we'll be. At this point, I'd like to transition um, we're going to have communion here in just a minute. And there might be some of you out there that I'm talking about all of this and, and you think, I don't, this is all some very theological sounding stuff. This is all some very uh, confusing sort of things. And, and if, if so, it's, it's not you, it's me, it's my fault. Um, but I want you to know that if you're sitting there and you think this sounds good, but I don't know yet. Or I want you to think uh, if, if you're not sure of anything other than that feeling of guilt that, that God is offering his righteousness to you. And we're about to go celebrate a meal 
where we remind ourselves of the sacrifice that brought us that righteousness. Um, and this is meant to be a family meal. This is meant to be a time where we come together and rejoice and ponder and worship the God who has done this for us. And if, if you're not in that situation yet, um, use this time to, to pause and to think and to, and to pray over and to meditate, meditate upon what we've been talking about here and what, what God has revealed in his word. Um, but if you are a Christian, if you are trusting in the God who saves, then you're welcome to join us and you're welcome to celebrate with us that salvation. So let me pray for us and then the band will come up and as they, uh, as they play, you can go out one door, circle around and take communion. God, thank you again for today. Thank you for your church, God. It's, it's wonderful to be with your people. And uh, just pray, God, that any error that I might have preached will disappear from memory, God. And any truth that I might have preached uh, will hold fast. And we pray, God, that you always reveal your truth to us, God. We pray that we find it in your word. We pray that we find it in our prayer life, God. And we pray we find it in communion with other believers and that we have the courage and the, the guts, God, to act on it um, and to go out and tell people of this wonderful thing we found. May the rest of our week bring glory to you, God. May the rest of our day, may we trust in you and rest in you and uh, take us from here, God, uh, in your truth. Your name. Amen.